0: You're listening to the Church on the Move Roswell podcast. We hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to take your next step with Jesus. Thanks for listening. Let's check it out. God, go with me to Psalms 25. We're still talking about hope against all hope, and I'm going to jump right in because I have some ground to cover um, in order to finish up this series um, talking about when all hope is gone, we still have hope. And so in Psalms 25, I'm going to just skip to verse 21. I read some other verses in first service, but I'm going to skip just to verse 21. It says this, Your perfection and faithfulness are my bodyguards. You know, I, I, I when I read this verse and read verses like it, You know, I I pick it apart. I'm like, okay, God does everything decently in order, so it's in perfect order. And first, in order for him to be faithful, he first has to be perfect. So that's why it reads, your perfection and your faithfulness. Because if God's not perfect, then we can't count him as faithful. Because uh, you have to be perfect to be faithful always. Because as much as we want to be, we're not always faithful. We're not. All, we don't always do what we're supposed to do. Do what we say we're going to do. We're just. We're not perfect. But God is perfect. Amen. And because He's perfect, then we can count Him as faithful. We can count Him as faithful. And so then it says this: It says, "Because of your perfection and your faithfulness, you're, th- those are my bodyguards." Then He goes on to say, "For you are my hope, and I trust in you as my only protection." You know, our hope is in the personhood of God. Our faith is in the promises of God. But our hope, hope always begins in, the, in who promised. We can only have hope in what someone, we can only have faith in what someone promised if we have hope in the promiser that they are who they say they are. And that's why God says, listen, I'm perfect and I'm faithful. That's why you can hope in me and trust me to protect you, to take care of you, and and so in when you grasp grab a hold of God's care for you, his love for you, his concern for you, that's what opens up the doors to hope in faith. The Bible teaches us that faith worketh by love and that that faith also works by hope. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's why in the end times it says that these three things will always remain, even in heaven, faith, hope, and love. Why? They have to, because they all work together. You can't have one without the other. You can't have hope in somebody if you don't think they care about you, if if you don't think they love you. I think one of the greatest lies of the enemy is he constantly is telling us that God doesn't care. And we're going to talk more about that as we go through this service. But God wants to keep our hope alive uh, because it's constantly under attack. Now, Christian hope is our continued reliance on God's wisdom, God's love, and God's power. That we rely on his wisdom, we rely on his, his love, and we rely on his power. And we continue doing it. It's a day-to-day thing that we place our hope in God. You know, we hear stuff in sports like, you know, perfect practice, you know, produces perfect games, you know, and, you know, practice makes perfect. You know, guys, you have to practice hope just like everything else. You have to practice being in hope, hanging on to hope, and the more you practice it, the better you get at it. And so God wants us day-to-day to say, God, my hope is in you. My hope is that you're good. My hope is that you care. My hope is that you love me and that uh, because I have hope in who you are as a person, who you are as God, I know you're perfect, and I know you're faithful. That produces faith in me. That hope produces faith in me. Our hope is in the personhood of God, the character of God. Our faith is in the promise of God. Because if you don't trust someone's character, you can't trust what they say. Hope says, I trust your character. I trust your perfection. The Bible teaches there's no shadow of turning in God. Otherwise, there's no, there's no variance in him. There's no, he doesn't change. He's unchangeable. He's unchangeable. And we need him to be. Perfection is always unchangeable. If you're perfect, what do you need to change? The Bible says there's no darkness in God. Otherwise, there's no evil intention ever in God. And so our hope is is that not only is he who he says he is, but that he cares about us. That the God of all hope, the God of all power, the God of the universe cares for me personally. That we listen. You can't operate faith, you can't operate hope without believing that God cares for you personally and loves you. The enemy will attack that thought in you all the time. And say, God does not care, God does not care. He'll get you to try to question God's caring for you because then he knows he can rob your hope and he can rob your faith. So you'll never produce God's word in your life. And if he can rob your hope and you become hopeless, that's when despair kicks in. That's when man hopelessness is (coughs) it's a horrible thing. It's the worst thing to have is to be hopeless. You can have a lot of other problems, but if you, if you 're hopeless, you know I watch a lot of uh, i like like into the world movies 2012 you know just into the world I like into the world stuff i don't survival stuff I just that's just kind of my thing you know it's kind of sci-fi ish you know I, I just enjoy those kind of things you know Independence Day you know aliens attack our planet and we, we whoop them I like those kind of movies anyway, so you know um and you know when you, if you watch a long series like I watched The Walking Dead for a while, and, and I, I finally finished it because I, I just I'm driven to finish, so I skip over a ton of it and then go to the end uh, to find out how it ends, because it just gets, because it's always the same drama. They start to do good and then something, you know, of course. Always something has to turn ugly and turn bad and there's gotta be more drama and then someone's gotta cry and they gotta ask each other constantly, how are you feeling? How are you doing? It's just it's just this constant drama. But you know, in the midst of that, the kind of the end thing of the whole series, eleven seasons, was this statement that the leader in the beginning, his name was Rick, what he was used to tell him, we're the ones who live. We're the ones who live. We're the ones who live. That was their, That was their. that's what they'd say. We're the ones who live. And what it did was it impressed upon a group of people who made it to the end, hope. That no matter how bad it got, no matter how ugly it was, no matter how many zombies were on the planet, there was hope for a better tomorrow. There was always hope. You can go through a zombie apocalypse if you have hope. You can make it through it, you know i I watched a study years ago, uh, a documentary on three people that had lived to be over a hundred, still living by themselves, um, and they were still healthy, relatively they were healthy, a little slower, but they were healthy, and they all lived by themselves and cared for themselves and they they wanted to do a, they studied them asking a bunch of questions about how, why did they live longer than most people. And there was probably some genetics involved, but they didn't get into that because none of them ate vegan or vegetarian or anything like that. They all ate whatever was served in their community. I mean, two of them were from the South, ate fried everything. And you fry it in pig fat, you know, bacon grease or something. That's how the South cooks. You know, I used to wonder, Julie served me green beans for the first time And she's kind of a, you know, from Tulsa, and they kind of cook like the South. And so I'm like, man, these green beans are incredible. And I would brag on them and brag on them. And then one day, we were just newly married, probably a month or two in, I'm watching her cook those green beans, and she takes this can out from under the sink. (laughs) Takes a scoop of bacon fat and throws it in there. I'm like, no wonder those things taste so doggone good. You throw some bacon grease on anything, you can make it taste good, I promise And so, anyway, it wasn't their diet. That's not what caused them. They didn't overeat, but they ate whatever their normal food was of that era and that place where they lived. But one of the the number one reason why they had lived to be 100 was that no matter who died, they had hope. Because they had lived to be so old that not only did all their parents, all their siblings... A bunch of their children had died in their 80s. They had buried, all their friends were dead. But they carried something inside of them. They had this hope inside of them that no matter how many people passed away, no matter how many friendships they lost, their family, no matter how alone, they were all living by themselves. They had this hope inside of them that that was the number one reason they said they had the ability to deal with adversity and keep hope alive. That's why they lived so long. The second reason was they all worked. They, all three of them had a job they went to every day. And it never stopped working. One of the older ladies, she did the she worked at the museum of the local town. And she was well past 100, and she knew the whole history of that place. I mean, it was crazy, the, the, the level of... If you took that in that little bitty town, she worked in that museum, kind of like the Southwest Museum or the Roswell Museum over here. Um, she, but it was the slowest walking tour you'd ever go on. Cause man, she would, she would barely. But she was still sharp, man. And she'd tell you, "Yep, that I remember when that happened, and I remember this, and I remember when my daddy and they all got together, and the men did this." I mean, she she knew her stuff about the history of that community. It's pretty amazing. And one of the the only man in that there were two women and one man. He he built furniture out in his shop at his house, and he he sold it. He was really successful. He had more orders than he could fill because he's really good at it. But he went out there every day and worked about five hours a day at 100. I think he was 105. And and so staying active, staying, staying moving forward, staying productive, and being able to handle adversity, they kept hope alive. And that's why they'd live to be so long. A lot of people, they begin to deteriorate because they start experiencing heartache. Lots of heartache, people passing away. And it just causes them, it drains the life out of you. If you don't keep hope alive, it'll drain you. Hard times can drain you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Hard times can drain you. But if you'll keep, the ho- keep hope alive, and God is the God of all hope, and he said by his spirit he lives inside of us, the Holy Spirit. So that means the God of all hope lives inside of us if you'll yield to it. If you'll listen to his voice and not the enemy's voice that tries to constantly steal and attack your hope, constantly through discouragement, through pain, through suffering. You know, all this stuff is designed disappointment is designed to rob you of hope. But there's a number one thing that will try to rob you of hope. Here's the number one thing, time. Satan will use time against you to try to rob you of hope. That's why in Hebrews 6.12 it says, through faith and patience, we inherit all the promises of God. All of them. Satan will use that patience. You know, we all know what patience means. It's going to take a long time. That's how we interpret that, right? And so we know there's going to be a time element, and Satan knows knows that scripture. He knows there's going to be a time element. And so what he tries to do, he tries to use time against us to rob us of our hope. He knows if he can get our hope, then we can't have faith because faith is, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. If you don't have hope, you can't have faith. So he's going to try to rob us of that using time. Now God flips it. He flips time and he, try, he tests the genuineness of our hope and our faith in him, our trust in him. Satan uses it to hurt us days, weeks, months, years. He's trying to drag it out and try to defeat us. God will use it to test us. To do what? To prove. To prove us out. I said to prove us out. Do we really believe his word or not? And it's kind of like, you know, I love God because he's not a God of a second chance. He's a God of a Another chance or whatever next chance. Another chance. And so he's a God of another opportunity. So he's always going to give you another opportunity. So Satan means it to defeat you and rob you. God will use it like putting a dipstick in the oil. He'll, he'll, he'll show you where your, where your hope and your faith and your love for him is. You know, on a dipstick, uh, there's full, empty, you know. You can see where it's half full or Add. You know, God will show you, say, listen, this time period, I'm going to show you, listen, you're, you're lacking. He's not showing you that to be critical of you. He's showing you that so that you can get, he can help you to get better. He's not like the mean school teacher. You get a, that you get a 40 on a test and they're happy. They're like, yeah, I'm teaching you how to fail, you know, I, but he, he's the good teacher that says, hey, I, you made a 40, but I got good news. I'm going to let you retake this test again. Now you know what you don't know. Now you know what you don't know and what you need to know. And so that's why God gives you another chance. He'll give you opportunity after opportunity to prove out your heart. God said when you pray with your whole heart, there's nothing he won't do for you. But it's got to be whole. So he's trying, to, he's trying to make sure that our, our heart is whole. And so he, instead of Satan uses time to rob us, God will use time to prove us out. How genuine, how sincere. Because listen, false hope and false faith, I've seen it time and time again. They, they, they throw in the towel. I've seen them rise up in church. They get saved and they're on fire for about a year. Then it doesn't go their way. And, or something happens and they fade, they fade so quick they 're gone so fast, where well, i 've seen others hang on for years, years and years and years, and be proven out, and God could just continue to bless them, and they hang on no matter what, no matter who who passes away, who, what happens, no matter what 's going on, they just they 're just hanging on there 's no quit in them because their faith, their hope in God is sincere and genuine it 's sincere and genuine, Pastor Troy. Do you not think everybody wants to quit at times? Everybody wants to quit. But those whose faith and hope is genuine, they just don't. They want to. They feel like it. They just don't. They get up the next morning and just say, okay, yesterday wasn't good. Today's going to be better. That's what hope says. It's going to get better. I'm all right. right. I'm going It's going to get better. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I doubted you. Sorry I gave up hope. Sorry I was, you know, Sorry I stiff-armed you. Sorry that I treated you this way, Father. I ask that you forgive me, because I'm right back up, and I'm going to keep right on going, God, trusting you, having hope in you, having faith in you. Now, I'm going to say something about time. I hope you catch this. Uh, Well, I'm going to say two things about time. You know, number one, God said a day for him is what? A thousand years. So God doesn't see time the way we see time. Okay, so don't, you can't put God in our time box. The only time God knows, there's one time he knows, because he operates in multiple dimensions all at the same time. Time doesn't mean anything to him except one. There's one time that he he knows, and that is, anybody want to know the time he knows? That is the right time. That's the time he knows is the right time. Let me say it again. The only time he knows is the right time. The Bible says over and over again, in the fullness of time, or when the time was right, he sent Jesus. He only knows the right time. You know, I think back when Julie and I I knew I was called to be in the ministry since I was 18. And when I met her and we married, before we got married, I was 27 when I met her. I told her, I said, you're not marrying a businessman. You're marrying a pastor. So I want you to know that before you make this commitment because we're going to be in the ministry. I'm going to be in the ministry. So that means if you're married to me, you're going to have to be in the ministry. And so she said, oh, yeah, I'm in. I'm good. But she knew that. Well, guys, it was 15 years after that before we ever entered the ministry. And, you know, after we got married, I thought, well, okay, maybe the timing's now, Lord, because I'd applied to Bible school three times. All three times I was accepted, and all three times God said, you aren't going there. The third time I finally woke up and said, God, I'm never going there, am I? He's like, you're slow, Troy, (laughs) but you're finally figuring this out. No, you're not going there. And there was reasons for that. Because God had to put us, first of all, he had to work on our marriage. You know, we got married, and we were lovey-dovey for about a month, and then after that, it was not so lovey-dovey for about two years. And so we had to go through that. And then God had told me when I was driving through Amarillo one time, years before that, I said, God, I wouldn't mind living in Amarillo working for this company between my family in Tulsa and Julie's family in Tulsa, and my family in Clovis, my parents and stuff. And he said, how about Lubbock? And I said, okay. Well, that was years ago. And so years had passed, and I told Julie about it. Um, she didn't say much because she didn't want to move away from her mama and so, until she realized how good dry heat is as opposed to humidity. And so, uh, then now she won't move back. But, uh, th- so, anyway, we had, we had to work through some things in our marriage, and then we had to work through, some, through some, so, some things in our finances. Because if we weren't financially, if we didn't have every debt paid, we had a car paid off, we had everything. If we didn't have that, we could have never taken this step into the ministry. So, God opened the door when I was 33, 33, he opened a door and moved us to Lubbock. I knew he was going to do that. He moved us to Lubbock. And then within eight months, he opened a door of ministry. Now, I was making probably 80, this is, guys, this is 35 years ago. I was making probably 80, 90,000 a year. That That's probably like making close to 200,000 now or 150, something like that. I don't know what the math is, but, and I had company car. I got $20,000 bonus checks every year. I mean, we were living well, and I was doing really good, and I was moving up the company. And so we were doing really well. So when we stepped in the ministry, they offered me less than $30,000. I don't know about you. Could Tomorrow, could you take a 70% cut in pay and make it? But, I mean, guys, it was, it was significant, okay? Significant cut in pay, no, no health insurance. I had a wife, two kids, and a baby on the way. No health insurance, no life insurance, no insurances, nothing. Just this pay. And my paycheck came late multiple times in that church. They had the money. Now me, I, I, I'm, I'm my mom and dad's child, and men, you pay your bills before you eat. You, oh, you know, so when I, my paycheck didn't come, I'm like, God, hold on a, hold on a doggone second. He said, Troy, you need to keep hope and you need to keep faith. So we took that cut, but we could because we had all our bills paid off except our house. And we could make it on that. But if it had happened any time before that, first of all, our marriage wasn't healthy enough for it because it was rugged. It was rugged. Ministry was rugged. It was rugged. What, I mean, I'd say it's the worst job I ever had. And so the second thing is, then our finances, and that, I don't know if you know this, but that's one of the number one causes of divorce is financial pressure. We didn't have that financial pressure. Now, we only have one car now because I didn't have a company vehicle, and we were down to one car, but we made it happen, and we trusted God. But God had to, a couple things had to happen. He had to move supernaturally, so it was a supernatural move of God in a church service that I got into the ministry, and it had to be supernatural. I'd have never taken that pay cut. I'd have been like, God, that's not you. Get behind me, Satan. That can't be you. I'd worked my butt off to get to that place. I mean, I worked seven days a week, two jobs, 15 years to get to that place. If it wasn't a move of God, I wasn't going to do it. And so his timing had to be perfect, and it was perfection. His timing was right. I say all that because I want you to understand, this is 15 years, but I never lost hope. I never lost hope. I'm like, God, I trust you. In in the meantime, I'm going to thrive where I'm at. You know, a lot of times we think so far in the future or tomorrow or the next day, we don't just thrive where we're planted. Hope will thrive where you're planted. Let me say it again. Hope, because we have such an expectation of good things coming, hope will just thrive where you're planted. Hope will say, hey, man, I know good stuff's coming. I don't care what this situation is. I don't care what, how mean my boss is or what this circumstance is. Man, I'm going to thrive where I'm planted because I know I serve the God of all hope. I know there's a better tomorrow coming. But until then, I'm going to thrive right here, right where I'm that. And I'm going to trust God's timing. Now, I want to say this. God has a sovereign will for our lives that there's certain things that are only going to happen based on what he does. But he also gives up, because he gives us a free will, there's stuff that will or will not happen to us based on our choices. So a lot of times we experience time issues with, you know, something we're praying for, salvation of a loved one, uh, health issues, financial issues, promotion, whatever the uh, relationships, whatever the circumstances are, we experience time elements sometimes because of the sovereign will of God, but a lot of times because of us you know you could you can put off god 's will for your life all your life if you want to. How do I know that because the children of Israel They put God so far off, he said, You can't enter the promise anymore. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to rain down manna. I'm going to pour water from a rock. I'm going to supernaturally care for you, but you're going to wander around in this desert and die here. We get some choice, we have choices in this deal. So when God deals with you and says, and five people who love you, not five critics of you, but five people who love you look at you and go, hey, maybe you ought to change this a little bit about yourself in order to find a mate. Or maybe you ought to grow up. Or maybe you need to change this. You got some quirky personality stuff that you need to deal with. Maybe you, I mean, God dealt with me about change after change, still dealing with me about change. And I embrace it. I'm like, come on, God, bring it on. I want to do better. I want to grow more. I don't want to be in this place. I want to, I want to do more for the kingdom, and I want to grow, and I want to walk in greater blessings. But a lot of people resist the change that God wants to bring in their life. And you you do you create environments that are detrimental to you. Go with me to Proverbs chapter 13. You can create your own environment to this. And, and you can lose hope because of it if you refuse to change. I've known person after person in relationships especially that you're just like, you know what? I'm not a good communicator. I'm never going to become one. And I'm like, okay. Communication is the key to a successful relationship if if you don't want a successful relationship, then dig in your heels and not become a better communicator. Well, I'm just quiet. Well, you can be quiet and still be a good communicator. Or you can create this circumstance. Uh, Proverbs 13, verse 12 says, when hope's stream seems to drag on and on, the delay can be depressing. Another translation of this verse says, hope deferred makes the heart grow sad hope deferred. What does that mean? That it just keeps getting pushed off and off. But I, I tell you, I want to encourage you, evaluate yourself. Am I the one pushing this great marriage off? Am I the one that refuses to deal with my temper or to deal with my attitude or stop being negative or stop being critical? Am I the one that needs to grow up or I just need to be more mature not so touchy or insecure or jealous? I mean, do, do, am I the one that needs to grow here? Am I the one that needs to change? Am I the one deferring my hope? Am I pushing my dreams that God's put in my heart further away because I refuse to grow up or grow or change or do what God's dealing with me about? He says, when hope's dreams seem to drag on and on, the delay can be depressing. Some will say amen, that's true. But when at last your dream comes true, like, Life's sweetness will satisfy your soul. When you finally make the changes you need to make, the problem is sometimes we don't have enough courage to ask ourselves the more difficult questions and say, God, if there's something wrong with me, deal with me. Show it to me. Make it plain, Father. And if I already know, most people already know, the reason I don't have a good relationship with so-and-so is because... Man, I, I refuse to forgive or I refuse to grow up or I, I'm so insecure in this relationship that I hang on too tight or I'm overly jealous or overly, I mean, there's just all, there's a thousand things. Or the reason I don't promote at work is because everybody thinks I have a bad attitude. Well, ding, 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 right? If everybody thinks you have a bad attitude, your boss says, I always try to tell my, my sons and they listen, you got to care about what your boss thinks. I'll never forget, one of my bosses walked into me. Walked to me one time, and he had a file in his hand, and he put it on my desk and said, hey, I need you to call these people and deal with one of our customers and solve this problem. And I had a stack, literally, by my desk. I had two stacks of files as high as my desk. That's how far behind we were. And I took that, and I threw it on top of that stack, and I said, When I get to the rest of those, I'll get to that. And he kind of smiled at me and turned around and walked away. And he turned back around. He said, "He said Troy, you know, I was thinking. I don't know who all is in that pile, those piles." He said, "But I do know that the one file I gave you is the guy who writes up your promotions, writes up your job evaluations, and gives you raises." He said. Hmm, maybe I'll think about that. He walked off. You know what I did? I grabbed that file. I solved that in five minutes. I made a phone call. I walked back there and I said, I've already taken care of this. He smiled and said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, I think you'll probably get a good evaluation. I said, from now on I will because I won't have that attitude. He wasn't a Christian but he was right. There was wisdom in what he told me. You know, you can't have a bad attitude towards your boss and everybody else and expect them to promote you and bless you. And you know, you just can't do it. Now, don't compromise your Christianity for them. Don't go out and party with them to get a promotion. But you can have a good attitude at work. How can God promote you? If you can't prosper where you're planted, you'll defer your hope. If your dream's to move on, listen, I had a dream of moving on from that job, and I remember I, was, I had decided I was turning in my resignation. And I showed up with my resignation in hand. I sat down at my desk. It was the best day I'd had in two years at that job because I was turning my resignation in. Someone had recruited me to work for another business. I was going right to another job. I mean, I had this whole thing planned out. I sat down at my desk, and I said, okay, God, here we go. He said, no, do it. He said, don't do it. I said, oh, no, this is decided. He said, don't do it. Well, you can do it if you want to, but I'm telling you, don't do it. So I stayed mad at God for about two weeks. Seriously, I didn't talk to God for two weeks. I just was like, man, I can't believe you won't let me loose from this. I've got another job. It's gonna pay me more money. It's in the same business. Why don't you? He said, no, I got plans here. I got plans for you here. And so after two weeks, I repented and asked him to forgive me for being mad, frustrated. And guess what? That next year, I got three promotions in one year. Boom, boom, boom. And I'm like, God, I'm so grateful you didn't let me quit this job. I'm so grateful. I was so happy about it, God. I did not have a bad day. One day after you told me not to quit, that's not true. That's a lie. I had two weeks of bad days thinking that he should have let me quit. No, but I was grateful. I was repentant and I'm like, God, I know your timing's perfect. I know your direction's perfect. I mean, guys, listen, you gotta where you're planted, you 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 thrive where you're planted until and you keep your dreams alive by saying, I trust the God who promised. I trust him that he's perfect and he's faithful to what he promised. And you just keep right where you're planted, you thrive. You just thrive where you're planted. And watch God go to work on your behalf. He said, "Faithful with the little, ruler over much. Be faithful with what you have, in every aspect. Be faithful with your relationships. Be faithful with your job. Be faithful with your finances. Be faithful with your time with God. Be faithful, and watch what God will do. He will move on your behalf. He will open doors that no man can open, and he'll close doors no one can. can he'll open doors no man can close, and he'll close doors no man can open." I mean, it'll be God. And when you see him move, it's fantastic. It's what it says right here. It's sweetness to your soul. man. I mean, when your dreams come true, it's sweetness to your soul. My heart for everybody in this room is that not only do you dream dreams that God has given you, but you get to live them. They aren't just pipe dreams you die with on your bed thinking, I shoulda, coulda, woulda, or you walk away disappointed in God because it didn't happen. No, that you'll do, make the changes and you'll do the things that God's asking you to do to change and to grow and you'll, t- you'll trust him and you won't, you, and, and if it takes time, you're just like, God, if you wanna prove out my sincerity, man, I'm right here, I'm standing. I'm like Abraham where we got this scripture from. He hoped against all hope and while he was waiting on God, he glorified God. He didn't mumble and complain, he glorified and praised him. Thanked him for his promise. No matter how bad it looked, he hung on to hope. He hung on to hope. That's what God wants us to do. Now, I have a bunch more to share with you, but I promised last week we'd get through the five lies of what Satan will tell you to try to talk you out of the promises of God. Number one was, I can't. He'll say, remember we talked about this, he'll tell you you can't until, until you believe and you start saying I can't. When you start saying, I can't, Satan can go mess with somebody else because now he's got you saying what he wants you to say. He'll beat you up with, you can't, that'll never happen. And then once you grab a hold of it and you say, I can't, that'll never happen, he's, he's done his job. Now he's got you believing it. What do we say when we hear God, Satan say, I can't? We say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can. I can. Not I can't, I can. And we fight back with the sword of the spirit, the word of God. But if you don't know the word, you can't fight. That's the deal. That's what Satan's counting on, is that you never take time to find out what the will of God is in this Bible. Because once you find out all the promises, once you find out how powerful God's word is and all all the promises he made to you, and all the instructions and wisdom on how to do relationships right, how to raise kids, how to work a job, how to prosper, how to be blessed, how to bless others, how to love others, how to grow in love, how to grow in hope. If he can keep you away from this, then he knows he's got you. You'll believe any lie. That's why in the last days, the Antichrist, he's going to tell tons of twisted scripture. I saw a show the other day where this guy was supposed to be a pastor, and he was, he was quoting scripture, but he, he like combined like ten scriptures or whatever, four or five scriptures. He combined them all and twisted them all up, but he was acting like he was reading from the Bible. Even in, I'm like, man, they can't even get that right. They got a Bible right in front of them and still can't get that right. Why, because without the Holy Spirit you 'll never understand the Bible, never the Bible says you can't you 're incapable. I tried to read the Bible when I before I knew Jesus as my lord I, I I was so frustrated, I remember one time my mom got mad at me, she yelled at me. From her room, like, what are you doing? Because I tried to read the Bible when I was about 15 or 16, didn't understand a word of it, and I could read, guys. I had a pretty good comprehension of things. Matter of fact, that was one of my strengths, and I couldn't make heads or tails of it. And I took it and threw it. I was so mad. I threw it against the wall. I'm like, how in the world? That makes no sense. Little did I know, after I, re- after I received Jesus Christ as the Lord and received the Holy Spirit, I was amazed how easily I could read that. I was like, wow, how did I miss that? And not till years later did I read the scripture that without the Holy Spirit, you cannot discern the word of God. And then I realized, that's why it didn't make any sense to me. It has to be spirit-led. It's spirit-written. It's spirit-written, so it has to be spirit-read and spirit-led to understand it. That's why people... Try to understand, like, I don't get any of that. I don't understand. Well, no, you can't. Not without the Holy Spirit. You can't understand it. But with the Holy Spirit, you can. But if Satan can keep you and talk you out of getting in the word, then you'll believe all the I can'ts that he tells you. He'll tell you that's impossible or that God doesn't want to do it. And it's, it's a lie. That's the second lie. God will not. God will not. Go with me to Matthew 8. We're going to go over that again. Matthew 8. A man comes to Jesus and asks him straight up this question. He says in Matthew 8, verse 2, Suddenly, a leper walked up to Jesus and threw himself down before him in worship and said, Lord, you have the power to heal me if you really want to. Another translation said, if you're willing. If you want to or if you're willing. I love Jesus' response. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the leper and said, of course I want to heal you. Be healed. Of course I'm willing. But see, if you don't know this scripture, you'll fall for that prayer that people pray. People take this so out of context. When it comes to consecrating your life to, to the cause of God, that's the only time Jesus said, if it be thy will, Lord, thy will be done, not my will. Was, that was the crucifixion. That was consecration of his life and giving his life. Man, you, God call you to do something like that, then you can pray. You can pray that. God, if this is your will, I'll do it. You know, if it's not, I won't. I'm putting it totally in your hands. That, that's totally different prayer. Now, they've taken that one prayer, and now people pray that way over everything. Well, God, if you're willing, you'll promote me. If you won't, you won't. If you're willing, you'll fix my marriage. If you don't want to, then you won't. So God, what people are praying is, is that God's the, he's the God of divorce when they pray like that. When they pray, well, God, if you want to heal me, go ahead, but if you don't, kill me. Now the, he's the God of death. How twisted is that? Jesus said Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give life an abundant life. He's not the God of death. He's the God of life. He's the God of resurrection life. He won't let our bodies stay in the ground. He takes those with him too. In the end, he takes our bodies. He won't let any part of death take us. Death is the last enemy be totally conquered. Completely. Because that's who he is. So if you don't know the word, then you don't know what he's willing to do. 1 John 5 says, 14 says, listen, if you pray according to my will, then I'll hear you. If I hear you, then you know I answer you. But you got to know the will. How do you know the will? you got to read the B-I-B-L-E. So Satan can't talk you out of it. Number three, nobody cares. Nobody cares about me. Go with me to Luke. You're right there in Matthew. Luke chapter 12. We're just about done. Luke chapter 12. Jesus says this. Verse seven, he says, what is the value of your soul to God? Could your worth be defined by any amount of money? Question mark, it's a question. God doesn't abandon or forget even the small sparrow he has made. How then could he, could he forget or abandon you? What about the seemingly minor issues of your life? Do they matter to God? Of course they do. This is powerful. Do, the, do they matter to God? Of course they do. I, I love sharing these. I love bragging on God, how good He is. You know, I, I, hate, I hate being dressed wrong at any occasion. I don't want to have a swimsuit on when everybody's in a suit. I don't want to be in blue jeans and a t-shirt and everybody's dressed up nice. I don't want to be in a suit and everybody's in shorts and a Hawaiian shirt. I just want to blend in. I don't have to stand out. I just want to blend in. I don't want to be stand out in the crowd because I'm not dressed right. So I remember one time I, I was in my closet, and I was getting dressed, and I, I, the Holy Spirit spoke to me so clearly. He said, put on a suit. I'm like, God, I've got suits, and I wear them when I have to, but you know it's a have-to issue to me. I don't like suits. He said, "Nah, you need to put on a suit today. And I I said, I just kind of ignored it and said, nah, that can't be God. He's not telling me to put on a suit. So I started getting dressed normally, and I just couldn't get away from it. I just kept hearing, no, 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 put on a suit. You want to put on a suit today? Well, I had forgotten. I had forgotten about something that I was going to need to be in a suit for. And I showed up in my suit, and I'm thinking, how dumb is this? I'm in a suit. And I walked into the church, and everybody's in a suit. And I'd completely forgotten. They didn't know I'd completely forgotten because I was in a suit. And I'm like, golly, God, you even care that I care about just fitting in, you know, I just, in these situations, you even care about that? I mean, I didn't ask him about it, I didn't ask him what to wear. He just told me. Guys, he cares about the little and the big if you're listening. If you have ears to hear and you listen, you get to know his voice. The Bible says, my sheep know my voice. My sheep know my voice. In the voice of a stranger, they will not follow or listen to. My sheep know, not kind of know, they know. I know when God's talking to me. I can tell there's a difference in that voice and my head voice. And it always lines up with the word. How did that line up with the word right here? Right here. What about the seemingly minor issues of your life? Do they matter to God? Of course they do. So you never need to worry for you are more valuable to God <coughs> than anything else in the world. Don't believe the lie of the enemy that nobody cares because God cares. Number four, I don't matter. I don't matter. Ephesians 2.10 says we are the tre- We are God's treasures. You know, anytime my kids... Uh, Take off somewhere. Julie went to Lubbock yesterday with some of my children. And, you know, I told her, baby, I'm praying over you guys. I know you'll arrive safely and come home safely because God promised. But I want you to use some wisdom because you and those kids are my treasures. They're my treasures. <coughs> and God says, <coughs> all of us are His treasures. He feels that way about every one of us. So if, if Satan lies to you and say, says, you don't matter, you're insignificant, I just want to tell you, first of all, he tells everybody that. He tells me that. He tells everybody that. There's no one I know he hadn't told that to. I don't care how famous. I don't care how infamous. I don't care where, where I've met him in the prison or I've met him in uh, uh, places of, of influence and power. I'm telling you, they've all been told. Every one of them have heard that voice, you don't matter. But God says you matter more than anything. The question is, do you believe it? Because when you start believing that you're His treasure, you'll start living differently. (coughs) Because you'll understand your value. Number five, last one. Satan will say, it's too late. It's too late or it's too early. He'll tell you either one. But God's Word says there's a season for everything. And then in Lamentations, He says this. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Because his compassion does not fail, fails not. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. He says his mercy, his compassion is new every morning. Every day is a new day and a new chance. You can change. You can change today and it will change your future forever. 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 Don't lose hope. Don't quit. Don't give up. And if you have, get back up. Start again today. Listen, every eye closed here online. Thank you for joining us. Please close your eyes there too. You probably have more distractions than we do even in this room. (coughs) And just consider your life. Are you right with God? Are you right? If you died today or you died 50 years from now, would you go to heaven? Are you sure? And is your family sure? Or would they have to play the guessing game and just hope you did? Or would they have to say, "Godly, he had no fruit. She had no fruit. It's, there's no way they made it. And suffer more heartbreak than losing you. Jesus came to give us a gift because he counted us as precious. God said, If I'd give you my only begotten Son, would I not give you all things? You have a choice, though. You can choose God's blessings or you can choose to live in the curse. You can choose heaven and you can choose hell. It's your choice. You can choose having hope and faith and love in this life and enjoying God's goodness. And when things are terrible, you'll still enjoy God's goodness because he won't leave you or forsake you. He'll help you overcome and grow and move forward. Or you can live a selfish life and be miserable. And the only happy moments you have is when you're buying something or Experiencing the pleasure of sin for a moment. But there's no true joy in it because it doesn't last. God's joy lasts. If you've never prayed, make this your first prayer that you believe that God loves you so much. He proved His love for you that He died for your sins. On a cross over 2,000 years ago. And that he proved that he was and is. The Lord Jesus Christ. God in the flesh. By being raised from the dead. So he proved his love and proved who he was. And is. Already. And if you'll believe that. If you do believe that. Jesus will send the Holy Spirit to live inside of you. He'll teach and guide you by His Word and His Spirit how to live this life the way He came, what He He came to give in this life. Life, an abundant life now and forever in heaven. It won't be perfect, it won't be pain-free, but it'll be good, better than you could have ever dreamed. Your worst day will still be a great day because God's on your side, you know it. you get a choice. I want to tell you, it's never too early and never too late. Right now is the moment. So if you're online and you want to pray, you're going to pray with us. Send us a message right now. Say, I'm going to pray for the first time or the next time. In this room, whether you're praying for the first time or maybe you've prayed and you just need to come home and it's the next time. I don't care how many next times you have. Just keep running back to God and running back to God. I'm going to ask you in this room on the count of three just to raise your hand up. And say it's me. I'm going to pray. I'm going to get right with God before I leave here, and I'm going to mean it. It's going to be genuine, sincere. And if you do, God got to look at your heart. And if you do, God will do what He said He's going to do. He'll send the Holy Spirit. He'll restore you and save you. Begin the process of teaching you how to live, how to really live. So if that's you online, send the message right now in this room. One, two, three. Raise your hand and say, it's me. I'm going to pray and get right with God. Put your hand up, put it down quickly. Thank you all over the room. Thank you, guys. Church family online or here, let's all pray. Let's all pray together. Let's all be sincere. It's good to validate your faith and pray with these that are praying. Let's say this. Say, God, I believe you are God and God alone. And that you love me. You love us. So you sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, my sins. And you proved you love me by giving your life for me, paying my price. And I believe You rose from the dead and you're alive and you are the Lord Jesus Christ. I ask now and I submit to you my life. I ask that you receive me into your kingdom as the Lord of my life. And I receive the Holy Spirit right now Because you're my Lord. You're my Savior. And Father, I ask that you forgive me of all my sins. And put my past behind me. And show me the future you have for me. Future full of hope. A good plan. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. So be it. Amen. Come on, let's thank God. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to find out more about Church on the Move, like our service times, or how you can connect with us, you can visit cotmroswell.com.